And our topic today is, as you can see, uh, follow along your bulletin with the outline given there. Our topic is the Bible and racism. The Bible and racism. This should be exciting. I don't anticipate, we'll, in, in fact, there's no way we'll be able to cover the entirety of the topic in this one session. We'll get just as far as we can this morning, pick up back, uh, pick back up after youth rally. Um, but there are a few things I want to I say before we get started, before we look at some verses as to how we want to approach this topic. Three points. First of all, we want to approach it biblically. We want to approach this topic biblically. There are so many angles from which we can approach these issues that we've been discussing and uh, when it comes to this, we won't be able to help but to touch a little bit on some history and some politics, but we'll do that uh, just very minimally because, again, as Bible-believing Christians, our ultimate objective is to find out what the Bible says and go by that. So it's going to be our focus. We want to approach this topic biblically. Second, we want to approach this topic with maturity, with maturity. It's a serious topic. We're going to treat it seriously. It's a polarizing topic. We want to have a, a proper balance. Okay. We are not going to pretend that racism doesn't exist or never existed or isn't a big deal. Nor are we going to pretend that everybody's a racist and everything is a race everything is racist and everything is racially motivated. Because both of those approaches are equally incorrect. Does that make sense? Also, we want to approach this topic with humility. With humility. And what do I mean by that? I mean that it's good, it's important for us to always be willing to entertain the possibility that we are wrong in some way. I mean, our gut instinct is that we're right. But we need to be willing to entertain the possibility that maybe we're not always right in our thinking, in our attitude, in our approach, in our actions, in our words. We need to allow for the possibility that our thinking needs to be adjusted or that some of the things we tend to do or some of the things we tend to say could or should be changed. And if the Bible makes us look at something differently than we did before, that's why we study the Bible. But we can't stop there. We've got to be willing to take the next step and make whatever changes the Bible would have us make to our thinking, to our approach to life. So we want to be biblical, we want to be mature, and we want to be humble. That said, I have seven points that I'd like to make in relation to the Bible and racism. We'll not cover all seven this morning. We'll probably cover three, but I'm going to mention them to you, and then we'll uh, look at each point in more detail as we go. The first point, and I'll, I'll say them again. You don't have to race to try to fill them in just now. The first point is racism is a sin. The second point is that children are not to be punished for their parents' sins. The third point is that evolution and abortion have racist origins. 
And then next time, the fourth point, God did separate the peoples of the earth. Five, God did choose one special group of people. Six, saved people are united in Jesus Christ. And seven, interracial marriage is not sinful. We're going to cover all of those points from the Bible Beginning here, racism is a sin. Many reasons why we say that it's a sin. Actual, real racism. Actual, real prejudice. It's horrible. It's ignorant. It's sinful on a number of levels for a number of reasons. First of all, because there is technically only one race. We'll read those verses. Secondly, because all men are created in the image of God. Thirdly, because God is no respecter of persons. Fourthly, because we're commanded to love our neighbors. Fifthly, because God's will is for all men to be saved. We'll also see from the Bible that the Jewish people were condemned for their prejudice. Okay, let's go ahead and read some Bible verses and attach them to these points. Acts chapter 17 is where you are and where I'm turning. Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching on Mars Hill in the city of Athens, picking up his sermon in verse number 22. The Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, The unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul the Apostle is not being uh, cruel, but he's trying to be helpful. He's trying to help them solve their ignorance. They openly admitted that there was this God that they did not know, and he's going to try to help them know him. Verse 24, who is that God? He is the God that made the world and all things therein. Your society is ignorant of that God. The real God, the true God, the creator of the heaven and earth. God that made the world and all things therein. Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Okay, so he made it. He makes the rules. Okay, it's God's universe. He does things the way he wants to do them. J. Vernon McGee said, you may have a better way of doing things, but then again, you don't have your own universe. Okay, so God made the world and he's Lord over his creation. And he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. We owe our very existence to this God. We owe our life at this very moment to the God who gives us breath. Every good and perfect gift, every blessing we enjoy in life comes from the hand of a good and gracious and all-powerful God. Verse number 26, This God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. We'll stop right there. Here's the point we want to make. There are not a large number of races. There is one race, the human race. We all bleed Adam's blood. We're all part of humanity, all right? 
different shades, different skin tones, different levels of pigmentation, different expressions of what's that thing called melanin that gives your skin the tone that it is. We're all brown people to some extent, some much less, some much more. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, brown and brown and brown and brown. They are precious in his sight. It doesn't rhyme, but it's a little bit more accurate, okay? One blood, one race. The Bible says, verse number 26, he hath made of one blood all nations of men. Now we'll study how God separated the nations and divided the nations. There are different nations. There are not different kinds of people. There are not different classes of human beings. There are not different levels of homo sapiens. There are not some more advanced and more civilized and more evolved than others. If you think you are better because the color of your skin, you are the specialist kind of stupid that there is. And you're in disagreement with the Word of God. Okay? Romans chapter 3. Let's turn to some of these quickly. We can't spend too long on any one of them because there are so many to cover. Romans chapter 3. We know verse number 23 very well. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We know by experience that this is true. We have sinned. Everybody around us, we recognize that they have sinned. Verse number 22, though, adds a little bit to that. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. Look at this phrase in the Bible. For there is no difference. There is no difference. Okay? Uh, When it comes to the essence of humanity, no difference. When it comes to what's really important and what really matters, no difference. The outside, maybe a little bit different. The inside, completely the same. All have sinned. In fact, go back to verse number 9. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise. We're talking in Romans 3 about God's chosen people. They were special. They were elect. God had set them apart from every other nation on the face of the earth, and they thought that made them better, but God said, you're wrong. You're not better because you're a Jew. You're not better because you're a Gentile. You're not better because you're white. You're not better because you're black. You're not better because you're somewhere in between. Are we better than they? No, in no wise. There is no difference. Romans 10, verse number 9. We're familiar with these verses, but there's something here that maybe we're not as familiar with. Romans 10, verse number 9, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart, God that raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. There is no difference in our need for salvation. There is no difference in the means of salvation. There is no difference in the availability of salvation. There is no difference in God's desire for all men to be saved. Listen, get 
over yourself if you think you're special because the way you were born. You had nothing to do with that. Nobody chose who their parents are. Nobody chose what nation they would be a part of. Nobody chose what language they would speak or how they would grow up. There is no difference. There's only one human race. And then all men created in the image of God. Come back to Acts chapter 17 because we cut Paul off in the middle of his sermon. He wasn't done yet. Verse number 26 Acts 17, 26, hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and the term of the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We'll come back to that. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, here's the phrase, for we are also his Offspring. There is a concept you need to be familiar with called the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. It is a false doctrine. It is part of the social gospel. It is that God is everybody's father and we are all brothers. That is false. We are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says. You have to be born again to become part of the family of God. The Bible says, Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil in John 8, 44. However, however... The truth in the concept is this. We are also his offspring, okay? Every one of us is created by God. Every human being is created in the image of God. We're not going to read Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We read it last week where God made them male and female, but in the image of God created he them. And that applies to every single human being. We are made in God's image. So how is it that one group is better than another because of how they were born? How is it that one group is superior to another because of their skin pigmentation? It, it's not a thing. It, it, it only exists in the imaginations of ignorant people. Okay? Because all men are made in the image of God. And then God is no respecter of persons. Let's just take the Romans passage, Romans chapter 2 and verse number 11. Romans 2 and verse number 11. Each of these listed here makes the same statement. 2 Chronicles 19:7, Ephesians 6:9, Colossians 3:25 all contain this same phrase that we read in Romans 2 and verse number 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. And in each of these, the context is God's judgment, whether it's punishment, whether it's reward. God punishes and or rewards everyone equally. He doesn't give favor to some more than others. He doesn't give some preferential treatment. God is no respecter of persons. He judges based upon works, not based upon anything else. According to that he hath done, the Bible says. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. Whether it be good or bad, God is no respecter of persons. Look with me at the Proverbs passages. Proverbs 24 and verse 23. We need to be godly in this way. 
We need to be like God in that we also do not have respect of persons. Proverbs 24 and verse number 23. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. What is prejudice? That is you prejudge. That is you arrive at conclusions based upon what you see and observe before you know anything at all about that person. Okay? It is, and the Bible says if you do that, you are the opposite of wise. And the opposite of wise is any number of colorful adjectives. Dumb with a capital B. Stupid, ignorant, all those things you weren't allowed to say when you were a toddler, but it's perfectly okay now that you're a teen. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. Proverbs 28, 21. Proverbs 28 and verse 21, the Bible says, To have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Come to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 1. Just showing from the Bible, conclusively, conclusively, that racism is a sin. Some people try to justify it by the Bible. And that's dishonest. That doesn't work. James chapter 2, verse Number one, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. We're not going to go into this this morning. Personally, I am not a fan of Michael Luther King Jr. Um, I don't think he was a great guy, but I absolutely agree with the statement that he made that people ought not be judged on the color of their skin but on the content of their character. And uh, when the majority of people believe that, that's a good thing. Uh, It seems like we've forgotten that uh, in society today, but again, something we might get into a little bit later. No respect of persons. That means we don't prejudge. We don't judge based on exterior factors. We, We don't judge a book by its cover. We don't put people into a category just because of the color of their skin. That is ignorant. We're commanded to love our neighbors. We're in James chapter 2. Look at verse number 8. James chapter 2, verse number 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors okay love your neighbor as yourself so don't be like the pharisee and stop and ask who is my neighbor when god said love your neighbor he didn't just mean people who look like you when god said love your neighbor he didn't just mean the people who were raised the same way that you were raised the people in your socioeconomic status okay when god said love your neighbor he meant everybody Matthew 22, 37, 39, the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Next, God's will is for all men to be saved. 
God's will is for all men to be saved. Come to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We'll quote the passages listed in the outline. While you turn, 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy, this is good, acceptable. In the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. For all. Jesus died for all men everywhere of all time. God is no respecter of persons. Calvin was wrong. The atonement was not limited. It was universal. His propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Calvinism is a fairly racist doctrine. God's will is for all to be saved. This is what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. Those Jewish people hated those Samaritans. But Jesus said, you need to love them enough to go take them the gospel. And in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth, they were supposed to wait to get the Holy Spirit. As soon as they got the Holy Spirit, they're supposed to carry the gospel everywhere. Well, they had to wait seven more days past this, I believe it was, for the Feast of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're all in an upper room, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. They go out, they begin to preach the gospel to all who have gathered and assembled in Jerusalem. And pick it up in verse number 8. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. God gave them the gift of tongues. They preached and everyone, no matter what language they spake, understood what was being preached by the disciples of Jesus Christ. Parthians, verse 9, Medes and Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, creeps, Arabians, not creeps, creeps and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So here's what God did. He waited for the Holy Spirit to come until all of these people from all over the world were gathered at Jerusalem because all of those people all over the world were people for whom Christ had died and for people who needed to hear the gospel and were people who could get saved by believing on Jesus Christ when they heard the preaching on the day of Pentecost and when they heard the preaching and when they believed and when they got saved, they then went back to where they were from and carried that message with them. And Colossians 1 says the gospel is preached to every creature under heaven. Why did God set it up that way? Why did he send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Because he wanted all the world to hear the gospel. Racism is antithetical to missions. Racism is antithetical to missions. What if God calls you to be a missionary to people that you have racial prejudice against? That's going to kind of mess up your calling. That's going to make you an ineffective servant of Jesus Christ. That's going to cut you off from the blessing of allowing God to use your life in an incredible way. Now, we don't have to go all around the world, right? We can go all around our town, all around our place where we live and where we dwell. And listen, listen, 
Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to be saved. Uh, we'll cover later. The church is a place where we're united in Jesus Christ. This is for everybody. All right. Uh, Revelation chapter five. We, we we quoted it just a moment ago, or we read it, depending, just a moment ago. But what did it say? Revelation five, verse number nine. Every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. Uh, racists aren't going to like heaven a whole lot, right? It's not just white people. It's it's not just darker brown people. It, right? Uh, God's desire is for all men to be saved, and He's going to gather all into one into Jesus Christ and. If we don't like people who don't look like us, we're not going to like having a whole lot because there's going to be a whole lot of people don't necessarily look like us because obviously it's about something else. The Jewish people were condemned for their prejudice. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? That's in Luke 10, the passage 25 through 37. The Pharisee asked Christ, who is my neighbor? And basically, Christ turned the question around, and and after the Levite and the priest walked by and the Samaritan helped the man who was robbed, Jesus said, who was the neighbor to him? You're asking, who's my neighbor? I'm asking, to whom are you a neighbor? That Jewish priest and that Jewish Levite uh, failed to do what they ought to have done, but that good-for-nothing Samaritan had a little bit more character than the special chosen people of God. Um, It was one of many digs taken at them for their racial prejudice. Acts chapter 10, uh, the reason that God sent that sheet down to Peter with all kinds of yummy meats to rise and kill and eat, God was teaching him what I have called clean, you shouldn't call common. And immediately after that statement, some people show up and say, hey, you need to come to Cornelius's house in the Jewish eyes of Peter, Cornelius was unclean. Cornelius was common because he was a Gentile and God was saying, no, 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 you need to change your thinking on this issue. In Acts chapter 15, there's this huge council because, oh, the Gentiles got saved? Well, they've got to be circumcised if they want to be saved. They've got to be like us. They've got to look like us. They've got to have our culture in order to really be right with God and the Lord corrected that misperception in Acts chapter 15. Number two, we've got to hurry. Children are not to be punished for their parents' sins. Children are not to be punished for their parents' sins. Let's just get one of these references, Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. We'll get the Bible principle, then we'll make the application. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 16. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament. We've listed the passages there for you. The example in Numbers 26 is the sons of Korah. Korah sinned against God. He was punished for his sins, but his sons who did not follow in his sins were not punished with him. Deuteronomy 24, verse number 16, the Bible says, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay, And that principle is stated, again, throughout the Word of God. But how does that principle enter into our discussion this morning? Let me illustrate with a news story from the state of California. You already know it's going to be rich. 
In the state of California, Tabitha, Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed a task force charged with forming a reparations plan. A reparations plan. What's reparations? Well, here's, here, here's what they're considering. The proposal is to give $360,000 per person to approximately 1.8 million Californians who had an ancestor enslaved in the United States. Okay? So if, if you can prove that someone in your lineage was a slave, the state of California, here's the proposal, is going to give you $360,000 as reparations to pay you back for what happened to your, um, not to your descendants, to your ancestors. The total price tag for this proposal to the taxpayer, $648 billion. $648 billion. How are they going to pay for that? They're not. Their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-grandchildren are all going to speak Chinese. That's what's going to happen. Okay? <clears throat> that was not a racist statement. <laughs> okay? Now, here, here's what I'm saying. I'm not going to deny the past. I'm not going to try to pretend that the past wasn't horrible. I wouldn't deny there are still pockets of people who cling to racial prejudice. But no one who's alive today has any control over or responsibility for what took place in our country 200 years ago. And the Bible is very clear that children are not to pay for their parents' sins. And what's important that we understand is that the news media and certain forces in our government have a vested interest in stirring up racial strife and tension. Okay? This stuff is... I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it definitely doesn't exist on the level that you're supposed to believe that it exists. It's stirred up. It's stoked. It's fabricated. It's created. And there's a reason for that. There's an agenda behind it. The problem makes the politician relevant. Does that make sense? The, the crisis provides an opportunity for an agenda to be pushed. The strategy is to divide and conquer. The strategy is to divide and conquer. One nation under God, that's what we ought to be. That's what we could be. But if we are that, then the progressivist agenda does not get further. There's no reason for it. We've got to create some type of problem so that we can provide the solution. And the people behind that understand they hate your country and everything that it was founded upon and everything that made it great. Children are not to be punished for their parents' sins. People alive today bear no responsibility for what took place in the past. And we might return to that uh, later on next week or some other time. But for now, let's push forward and finish with point number three this morning. Evolution and abortion have racist origins. Evolution and abortion have racist origins. The scripture there is Matthew seven sixteen. By their fruits ye shall know them. This is where I'm going to give you a little bit of... Of history. You're not going to get this in science class. You'll have to get it in Sunday school. You're not going to get this in social studies. You're going to have to get it in Sunday school. 
The theory of evolution is ardently embraced by our culture to obviously devastating effect. The theory was popularized by Charles Darwin in his 1859 book, Origin of Species. That's as much of the title as you'll typically hear today, but that is only a very small segment of the title, and there's a very obvious reason why. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. I'll give you the complete title of Darwin's 1859 book. It is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. You may have even heard that. You probably haven't heard this, because the title went on to say, Or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. The origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Darwin had another book called The Descent of Man, and I quote, At some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. Darwin's viewpoint was that men evolved from monkeys and some races of men, white Anglo-Saxons, were much further evolved than other races, Africans and Jews specifically. That was Darwin's belief. That was Darwin's theory. That's, that's how he branched out the evolutionary tree of humankind. Now, Darwin wrote the book, but there was a man by the name of Thomas Huxley who really furthered Darwin's work. He was like um, the, the, the preacher for Darwinism in the 19th century. And Huxley said this, No rational man, cognizant of the facts, believes the average Negro is the equal, still less the superior, of the white man. This is the, this is the seed from which sprung evolution. Okay, The people who postulated the theory... This is what they believed. Darwin said, A married man is a poor slave worse than a Negro. Listen, if anybody ought to be canceled, it's Darwin. Right? Do you know where Adolf Hitler got his ideas? About some races being favored and others being exterminated? He got them from Darwin. You know where Karl Marx got his ideas that resulted in more death and carnage than the German Holocaust? You know where Karl Marx got his ideas? You know where Stalin got his ideas? You know where? From Darwinism. Communism comes from evolution. Nazism comes from evolution. They grow straight out of Darwin's theories. Next Sunday, Brother Hewitt's going to be with us. He's going to talk about the sanctity of life from the Bible. Let's talk about abortion for just a quick minute. When you think of abortion in the United States, you think of Planned Parenthood. That organization, the biggest name in the abortion industry. It was founded by a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger. It was originally known as the American Birth Control League. Sanger's racism is so well documented that the Planned Parenthood website admits to it on their About Us page. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read to you from the website of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood traces its roots back to a nurse named Margaret Sanger. Sanger grew up in an Irish family of 11 children in Corning, New York. On October 16, 1916, Sanger, together with her sister Ethel and activist 
never seen this name before, Fania Mendel, opened the country's first birth control clinic in Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. Women lined up down the block to get birth control information and advice from Sanger, Byrne, and Mendel. Nine days later, police raided the clinic and shut it down. All three women were charged with crimes relating to sharing birth control information. Sanger refused to pay the fine, spent 30 days in jail, where she educated other inmates about birth control. Although the Brownsville Clinic was shut down, Sanger went on to travel the country to share her vision, a vision that had deeply harmful blind spots. Sanger believed in eugenics, an inherently racist and ableist ideology that labeled certain people unfit to have children. Eugenics is a theory that society can be approved through planned breeding for desirable traits like intelligence and industriousness. In the early 20th century, eugenic ideas were popular among highly educated, privileged, mostly white Americans. Margaret Sanger pronounced her belief in alignment with the eugenics movement many times in her writings, especially in the scientific journal Birth Control Review. In 1926, she spoke to the Women's Auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan at a rally in New Jersey to promote birth control methods. In 1927, she endorsed the Buck versus Bell decision in which the Supreme Court ruled states could forcibly sterilize people deemed unfit without their consent and sometimes without their knowledge. 1939, Sanger called what was, or began what was called the Negro Project. The mission of the project was to put black doctors and nurses in charge of birth control clinics to reduce mistrust of a racist health care system. She wrote in a letter, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. The minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. In an article entitled, A Better Race Through Birth Control, she wrote, Given birth control, the unfit will voluntarily eliminate their own kind. Given birth control, the unfit will voluntarily eliminate their kind. Why do I bring this up? And we close. Why is this important to understand? Because the elements of our society that are stirring this pot of racial, racial tension and racial strife are hypocritical. <laughs> Very hypocritical. Because they believe in evolution and they believe in abortion and all of that stuff is just as racist as it comes. The Bible is very clear on the issue. Every life is precious. Every human being is created in the image of God. And no one is worth more or less on the basis of their skin color, their heritage, their socioeconomic status, etc. We'll pick it up again next week. It's what the Bible says. We want to go by the Bible and align ourselves with 